The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Nice to be back on a Tuesday morning. It's sweet to be here. And I just returned from uh, leading a meditation retreat at Jokoji Zen Center, which is, some of you might be familiar with Jokoji. It's, uh, it's up on Skyline. <coughs> And um, I guess maybe Los Gatos, or I'm not exactly sure what the Cupertino is, but it's it's all the way up on the ridge. And um, it's a Zen center that I think was started about 35 years ago by Kobunchino and his uh, Sangha. And... It's a little unique in the sense that it has a um, very relaxed, dare I say, funky <laughs> feeling. <laughs> you know, and sometimes monasteries, and especially in the Zen tradition, can be, um, at least from the outside, can look a little bit strict or a little bit rigid. Or, you know, you go in and there's a schedule and you, there's kind of a certain way of doing everything. And... Um, but Chikoji is so open, you know, and I, I think you can kind of just drive up there and hang out and sit in the zendo and they have some residents, but it's a small community. And what I, what I read was that when they first bought that land, there were about 30, um, squatters who were living on the land and they were kind of anarchists. And for something, and and the so, and so the Buddhist community that bought it with with Kobanchino were concerned. You know, what, you know, how do we got to get them out of here or do something? And then and somehow Koban, you know, he said, "No, we'll just kind of harmonize with them," and invited them to sit. And <laughs> so uh, I'm not exactly sure how it all worked out, but it has this feeling of um, being a little bit wild, but also a place of deep practice. Usually, like, there's a lot of Dharma energy there. And so, you know, we're, we were having a Vipassana retreat, an insight retreat, but we sat in the Zendo, and the only change we made, well, we made a couple of changes. One was, in, in Zen, the altar is usually in the middle of the room. So it's kind of like a, you know, the Buddha's in the middle and, and it's like a mandala and you walk in and you walk around and you sit along the sides. So we moved, uh, but in Zen also you sit along the sides but you usually face the wall, at least in, in Soto Zen. So everyone's facing the wall and then the teacher is sitting out and is watching everybody sit. And we changed it so um, everyone sat around the perimeter, but faced into the room, 
you know, and it had a very nice feeling of you see everybody and, you know, we close our eyes, so it's simple enough when you when we're when we're sitting. But you kind of had a nice feeling that you see everybody. And then we moved the altar from the middle of the room onto one of the walls. So just kind of the middle was this empty space. And um, it had such a nice feeling. It was um, the Zendo, uh, you know, it's built with some kind of wood, but it has this, you know, kind of very fresh, natural wood smell. Um, the acoustics are, are very good, so we didn't even use use a mic to for the for the talks or the teachings. And then um, it's right in the middle of this nature. So, you know, these big, you know, it has windows all around the side. So these great trees. And this time of year, um, the birds were out and just singing and talking. And, and then there's a, there's a stream so you could hear the sound of water. And it was just, it had this great um, feeling and it reminded me of um, the power and the blessing of sitting with nature. And there's a way, I think, I think it's like, you know, there's a way that the mind knows it can't control nature, you know, in the way that our, our built environments are, are controlled and managed. And, but nature is just like, is happening. And so something in the mind can relax, you know, and, um, and just take it in. And, um, and one of the themes of, say, the main theme of the retreat was this shift from doing to being, you know, as, as one important aspect of practice. Um, so I called it being dharma. Um, you know, especially when we have the intention to meditate, we can, we can have this feeling that I'm going to be doing, you know, I am going to be doing something and doing something, uh, something's going to happen, you know, just kind of do something, you get some, some effect or some result. And this shift from doing to being, you know, um, so we talked about um, the qualities, recollecting the qualities of the Dharma. Dharma being this, this ancient word, ancient Buddhist word, and even before Buddhism, this ancient word meaning how things are. You know, so it's a, it's a word that kind of stands for reality. So is reality something to be done? Do we do reality? Or is it just what is? It's the nature of things, how things are. And so what is it to um, remember, return to this kind of being dharma, being, taking our place in nature, um, expressing, manifesting fully just how things are. So um, there's this uh, chant that Buddhist monks um, in Thailand and Southeast Asia 
uh, often chant, and it includes the recollection of the qualities of the Dharma. And so it's said that the Dharma is Sanditiko, Akaliko, and Ehipasiko. Meaning, Sanditiko means always present here and now. So the Dharma, reality, of course, you know, where else, how, where could it be? You know, where would it go? It's reality, right? It's, it's always present here and now. And then Akaliko is timeless and immediate. And Ehipasiko, inviting investigation. So it's like calling us to look, to explore, to find out. Um, so, if, so if the Dharma is always present here and now, in each moment, it's manifesting as the exact contents of our experience. You know, sometimes we can have the idea of like, only when I train hard in this way or study all these philosophy or attain some level of uh, tranquility or calmness or equanimity, then I can see the Dharma then the Dharma will be something that I can see. And I love this teaching of the Dharma is always present here and now. It's always right here, and it's always being um, given to us. It's, it's, always, it's always manifesting um, exactly as things are. And, and so it's like, what is the kind of effort that it takes to simply be that, to simply notice that, to simply remember that. Um, and I would say it, it in much more than a doing, it involves a kind of, um, almost we could say a stopping, or stopping of the doing, a resting of the doing. Um, so this idea of rest, of, of pause, of, of stopping, is a very profound um, shift, and it's a profound aspect of, of meditation. And I mean, to the extent that in, in the Buddhist, in the classical Buddhist teachings, stopping or cessation is a synonym for awakening a synonym for enlightenment. You know, in the Four Noble Truths, there's the truth of suffering, the truth of the, the origin of suffering, the source of suffering, the arising of suffering, and then there's the cessation of suffering, the stopping. You know, so there's something very uh, meaningful, very powerful about this stopping and to allow things to come to a rest. It's not like, we have to kind of clamp down and, um, but when we, when we uh, stop a- adding fuel to the fire, so to speak, things can come to a rest. It's like sometimes I have the idea of like a car that's like, you put it in neutral on a kind of flat road and it just eventually just comes to a very, very gentle rest, gentle pause. Um, so usually we, um, 
we add fuel to the fire. And that fuel is called clinging. <laughs> you know, I want this, I don't want that. I like this, I don't like that. Um, so, but in any moment when uh, the push and pull of clinging is softened, is relaxed, um, stopping is there, rest is there, pause is there, um, peace. You know, that's, that is what allows peace. Um, there's this line of a poem that comes to my mind. Just sitting is the open gate to the land of perfect peace. Just sitting. You know, so just sitting implies this kind of rest, this kind of pause, this kind of willingness to be. And it's just a willingness to be with things as they are, as they happen to be. They may not be perfect according to what we want. They may not be um, even so pleasant or so enjoyable. But in that willingness to, to be, to rest, um, peace is there. The peace that's always there, the stillness, the silence that's always there, is allowed to um, show itself. I mean, sometimes this is talked about as like, you know, the difference between noticing the objects in the room versus noticing the space of the room, the empty space. Usually we don't notice the empty space, right? You know, it's empty. And there's nothing there because it's empty. So we're, we're focused on the what. We're focused on the things. And... Um, but what is it to, little by little, begin to notice the silence, the stillness, the space that's around all of the contents, all of the stuff? And it was like, you know, in this weekend, being in nature and sitting in that field, it wasn't silent in the sense of there was no sound, but it was like the sounds kept turning us back to the silence, kept reminding us of the stillness. Um, and one of, the, one of the requests that I had for the participants, for the yogis, the meditators in the retreat, was to come to every sitting. You know, sometimes in a, especially in a Vipassana retreat, insight retreat, um, the schedule is held a little bit loosely. So not, not that loosely, a little bit loosely, you know, kind of like, you know, it's a suggestion. Sometimes a teacher will say, yeah, the schedule is a suggestion. You know, we're having a sitting now and then a walking and then a sitting. But you kind of do what you think is right or something like that. You know, a little bit of the feeling. And um, in Zen retreats, the schedule is not a suggestion. <laughs> it's... It's the law. <laughs> it's the Dharma. <laughs> Just follow the schedule. <laughs> and in following the schedule, having that um, expectation to follow the schedule, there's a way that we go beyond our preferences. We go beyond our clinging. So, it's, you know, it's not like the bell rings and then I look inside and see, what do I want? <laughs> it's like, no, the bell rings and you just go. You just go sit. Um, so 
my request for this Vipassana retreat was that we kind of hold it a little bit like that and we just do it. We just go. And one of the effects of that was that the, the, the meditation hall was completely full every sitting. Everyone was there and everyone was sitting and was in this stillness and in this silence. And so we just had this wonderful feeling, this great energy of everyone practicing together. And um, at the end of the retreat, people remarked on what a big support it was to sit with other people you know, and it's like the silence and the stillness was in a way deepened that everyone was was participating in it. Everyone was uh, creating it. Um, and um, so just that rem- the reminder that this, the the song, I mean, one of the teachings, listening to the bird song, one of the, one of the teachings that came to my mind during the retreat was this idea of, which I think comes from the Chinese Buddhism, I'm not sure, but this idea, and it may not even be Buddhist, but the silence of the mountains is deepened by the song of the bird. Sometimes we can have the idea that silence and sound are in conflict. And, but this is sort of suggesting that every sound, every, every existence, every experience can take us home to the silence, you know, returns us to the silence. Silence and sound that kind of create each other, right? You know, um, And it's a great reminder that we don't have to get to some exalted, special um, mind state in order to appreciate silence, in order to appreciate stillness, in order to appreciate the Dharma. It's like, you know, whatever arises is returning us to the Dharma, is returning us to the the stillness that's there, but we just don't notice it. I think it's often, you know, it's like we just we just overlook it. We're we're focused on what's what's happening, what's more interesting. So it takes a certain kind of intention or a kind of remembering to just that just that shift, to just to notice the stillness that is holding all of the activity, all of the movement. Um, I think there are many of these moments of rest, of stillness, in a, in a day. Um, and the more we start to notice it, the more we can kind of appreciate it, and the more it, the feeling of it grows. And um, so the fi- the physical stillness is something that can support that, having some time to sit a little bit every day. Um, and I think the other thing that supports it is what I was pointing to a little bit in the meditation is this softness, 
you know, soft mind, soft body uh, supports a kind of um, acceptance. It supports acceptance. It's, it supports um, this, this willingness to allow things to end, allow them to rest. Um, I often think about a cloudy glass of tap water. You know, where I grew up in New York City, the tap water, maybe it was the apartment building we lived in or something, the tap water would often be cloudy. And if we just put it down and let it, leave it alone, say something settles, something rests. You know, it's like, So the mind is the same way. It's like if we just leave it alone, leave the, let things kind of play out without fueling them, there can be this wonderful nourishing rest. Um, I wanted to read a, a poem that... Uh, maybe in a little bit different way, expresses this. And this is from the Chinese Buddhist tradition. Um, called uh, The Song of the Grass Roof Hermitage. Song of the Grass Roof Hermitage. And it was written by one of the... Um, great Chinese Chan or Zen masters, Shito Sichen. In Japanese, he's referred to as Sekito Kisen, early Chinese Buddhist teacher who was the leading master of a famous center of Chan, which had developed in the Heng Mountains in Hunan um, about 700 CE, which I think means you know, 1,300 years ago, something like that. So, um, I built a grass hut where there was nothing of value. After eating, I relaxed and enjoyed a nap. When it was completed, fresh weeds appeared. Now it's been lived in, covered by weeds. The person in the hut lives here calmly, not stuck to inside, outside, or in between. Places worldly people live, he doesn't live. Realms worldly people love, he doesn't love. Though the hut is small, it includes the entire world. In 10 square feet, an old being illuminates forms and their nature. A great vehicle bodhisattva trusts without doubt. The middling or the lowly can't help wondering, will this hut perish or not? Perishable or not, the original master is present, not dwelling south or north, east or west. Firmly based on steadiness, it can't be surpassed. A shining window below the green pines 
jade palaces or vermilion towers can't compare with it. Just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. Thus, this mountain monk doesn't understand at all. Living here, he no longer works to get free. Who would proudly arrange seats trying to entice guests? Turn around the light to shine within, then just return. The vast inconceivable source can't be faced or turned away from. Meet the ancestral teachers, be familiar with their instruction, bind grasses to build a hut, and don't give up. Let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. Open your hands and walk innocent. Thousands of words, myriad interpretations, are only to free you from obstructions. If you want to know the undying person in the hut, don't separate from this skin bag here and now. Just sitting, allowing the momentum of pushing and pulling, grasping, clinging, allowing that to, to rest, to pause, all things are at rest. Thus, this mountain monk doesn't understand at all. Um, I like this idea of, uh, it's not about understanding something. It's not about figuring something out. And actually, not knowing, you know, is a willingness to be open. It's a willingness to um, meet this moment so freshly. You know, it's not filtered by what I think it, it means, what I think it is. It's like, you know, so it's not about understanding something, it's about being something. And then this let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. Um, that, that relaxing, that softening um, is in a way metabolizing our karma. And it's, maybe it's not even just karma of this day or this lifetime. You know, who knows? But my mind does go to this idea of um, the imprint that not only our own ancestral lineage, 
but the cultural lineage and you know it's it's all you know we're all of it right so it's all it all comes through to, through us impacts us so this idea of letting go of hundreds of years um, beyond even this lifetime and relaxing completely um, it's that it's that softening um, Open your hands and walk, innocent. Um, and then this idea, if you want to know the undying person in the hut. So it's like, if you want to know the great, deathless, uh, transcendent truths, um, the truth of beyond. Uh, if you want to know the undying person in the hut, well, yeah, how do we do that? How do we transcend? How do we go beyond? He says, don't separate from this skin bag, you know, in the typical blunt Zen, <laughs> right? Don't separate from this, this skin bag here and now. You know, the way to um, emptiness is through form. We know emptiness through form. Um, form and emptiness create each other. There isn't any emptiness outside of form. So how do we... Um, to, to go beyond the the invitation is to be fully here, to not separate, to not turn away. Um, uh, be willing to experience the moment exactly as it is with complete trust. You know, there's this line, a great vehicle bodhisattva trusts without doubt. And in certain styles of practice, it's like that faith, that trust, is complete, absolute trust in our own nature. It's complete. I mean, maybe you know they would say our own Buddha nature. In the insight tradition, maybe because we don't use that term so much, but like it's the same. You know, it's like trusting the Dharma, just complete trust that what's happening now is the the continual flow of reality. Reality flows, you know, whether we're mindful or not, whether we're present or not, whether we're in suffering or not, reality is just flowing. You know, it doesn't depend on me to think something, to figure something out. So when I can return to silence, return to stillness, rest for a moment, we can we can um, uh, just remember, we can participate in, in this flow. We can, uh, you know, nothing is obstructing us. You know? um, thousands of words, myriad interpretations are only to free you from obstructions. So, um, and the obstructions, whether they're difficulties in the mind, whether that's pain in the body or tension or some kind of struggle, 
the obstructions are what we, we, we give attention to, what we notice, what we meet with kindness. Um, because they too are dharma. They too are expressing, you know, the fullness of our humanity, the fullness of our being. So they're, you know, they're not the enemy. The, um, you know, we talk about things like the hindrances, you know, desire and aversion and restlessness and dullness and doubt. Um, in one sense, they can, they can be seen as obstructions, but when we include them in awareness, when we remember that they're arising and passing in this unmovable field of stillness, you know, it's like they're the Dharma too. It's like, it's not a problem. It's just another expression of this flow. Um, So just letting the, um, the song of the bird, the sound of the train, the, you know, all the mind waves of wanting and not wanting and feelings and letting everything just, um, point us back to the the silence, the stillness that's holding it all. Um, And that's, that can be so nourishing. So, you know, just to find that sense of rest that nourishes. It's never far away. It's just it's just remembering to turn to it. And what I appreciate in reminding myself in any time of transition, whether it's leaving a meditation retreat or getting up from a period of practice of sitting, is that the silence is not out there. It's not in the mountains. It's not, uh, you know, in the meditation hall. The silence is in us. The stillness is in us. So it's something we, we carry with us. And we can return to in any moment. Um, The Dharma is within us. Thank you very much. We have a few minutes and like to invite your 
comments, questions. Just wondering if you would reread the part of the poem that talked to, that said, "Don't give up." Oh yeah, it was, yeah, So much of it was so beautiful. So. Yeah. Turn around the light to shine within, then just return. The vast, inconceivable source can't be faced or turned away from. Meet the ancestral teachers, be familiar with their instruction, bind grasses to build a hut, and don't give up. And this idea of turning the light around, you know, is is kind of the shift from doing to being. You know, usually we're the light of awareness is um, focused on out there. And this is like, turn the light around, return. Um, the vast inconceivable source can't be faced or turned away from. You know, it's like, face something or turn away from it implies a relationship and it implies a separation you know so if it can't be faced it can't be turned away from um, it's who we already are you know it's it's like it's um, has some absolute quality that's that's not separate that's not in in relationship um, yeah that's great meet the ancestral teachers be familiar with their instruction bind grasses to build a hut and don't give up That phrase, vast, inconceivable source, is that the same thing as the ground of being in your understanding? Yeah, you know, it's, I, th- I think it... I mean, it's not a thing, but is that the same? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what would be, yeah. Well, pointing to what's I being pointed so. to. I think so, as a, you know, words are... Um, never quite reach something like this. And so sometimes people talk about the ground of being, but the vast inconceivable source, that's good because if it's inconceivable, (laughs) you know, it sort of points to, it's not about something to figure out and picture and compare to any kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's that. That would be my understanding. That that's what it's referring to. So, in the 
not facing and not turning away from. Um, I guess that's a little like sitting in the hut. I, I was trying to say something about it, but I can't say anything. It's just like... Um, I guess to a certain part of me, that's a very odd place to be. Uh, right? Because yeah. it's just nothing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, and, and it's... In a sense. And so the identity or... It just, it's just very strange. Yeah. I mean, I would... You know, if, if a certain line resonates with you, you know, or something like this, just sit with it. You know, and just let it almost be uh, be words that turn us towards something. Um, and remembering that you know, at least in this tradition of you know, sometimes they talk about the absolute and the relative, and the absolute, by its name, you know, being absolute. It's not something that can be perceived with this body and mind. You know, so it's not, it's expressed through the senses, but it's not part of that world. So in this tradition, they, they talk about dropping body and mind, you know, casting away body and mind um, um, in in the early Buddhist tradition, the Theravada, I mean, my understanding is that's what's referred to in the Four Noble Truths by the cessation. You know, something is allowed to cease in that mind-body process. It doesn't mean that the body vaporizes (laughs) and goes to the, you know, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) But like that psychophysical process, which builds a world, you know, a a sensory world, is allowed to rest. Um, And then when that rests, everything rests, you know. So he says, just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest, you know, because because through this psychophysical, we create the world. We create what's called, we call the world. You know, uh, we create our world. And so it's like that, just that, uh, that pause, that, um, and, and through this allowing, you know, it's not something to be forced. It's just when we stop feeding, Gil often uses this great, um, I don't know if he does recently, but he used to talk about the fist you know, when you make a fist, 
in order to like keep the fist going, you have to continually clench it. You know, because there's this movement in the body to just soften, just let go. You know, it takes work to kind of keep a keep a fist going. And so there's something in the nature of dukkha, of suffering, that it's it needs to be fed. It needs to be fed by the mind that grasps. And so if we can just allow that to um, just just not keep tightening it, the natural movement is to soften and relax and rest. And so, you know, there's something very natural in the being about coming to a place of rest, coming to a place of stillness. Of, uh, um, and so a lot of instruction isn't so necessary. It's actually, you know, more about just that willingness to... Um, let let nature carry us you know let the nature carry us is to come to come to rest and we don't keep pushing and pulling and um so i find a lot of comfort in that you know that we don't need to be geniuses of meditation or some kind of thing it's just really sensing into this natural really natural process that I think we long for that rest, and in our culture, our you know certainly this modern age, and um, it's you know there's a there's such a stream of distraction and such a stream of stimulation that we need to you know have a strong intention to kind of carve out spaces where we can have that rest, but it's not like you know, it's so far from us, or so, um, it's this, you know, very natural process. So, I think the Buddha, this lines about just the way all the mountain streams, the water flows to the ocean, um, all things uh, incline to nirvana, you know, this great peace, all things flow to nirvana, flow into the ocean. So, you know, that's the direction of things if we allow it, if we, if we soften. Um, so, thank you. In that, in that, when you speak about letting go, um, it the the like I noticed this morning and other times, like the mind starts making symbols of what I'm experiencing. Like all the other thoughts about the day aren't there in that moment, but it start makes it start making symbols or stories almost like dreaming, right? Of what's going on in the moment. Whether it's nothing or just just the here internally. So is that me starting to fall asleep and so that the dream maker's doing this whole thing? Or is that just the symbolic because it kind of feels like, whoa, my mind is a symbol making machine. And so it's even in this subtle state of 
of not thinking, it's still doing that, even yeah. about awareness or you know whatever state I'm in. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess mean, I just try to let it go and come back to yeah, nothing or whatever. I mean, it's just just noticing it. I mean, I think sometimes in meditation, the kind of boundaries between waking and sleep, you know, dreaming start to soften a little bit. And I think there is also a state I notice in my mind just before falling asleep, there'll be this kind of random, disconnected mind waves, whether they're thoughts or images or something. And um, so it's just, I mean, in, in one way, it's, it's a sign that there isn't much of a, a selfing happening because it's like kind of, it's not so intentional mental activity. But yeah, just to notice it and just to, you know, um, if possible, not, not going over to the, the sleep, actual sleeping. Um, but along those lines, uh, there is um, an iPhone app. <laughs> and it's not, a, it's not about meditation, but it's actually designed to help people fall asleep. And it's not a guided meditation. It's not a hypnosis. It's not, what it does is it, it guides the listener into picturing certain symbols, I mean, certain things. You know, so it might say a yellow shovel and then um, a silver car and then, uh, you know, and, ju- and just different, just disconnected things. But it mimics that activity of, of, of me- that mental activity when there's some letting go just before we fall into sleep. And I was turned on to this app. I saw on a blog that medical residents have used it because sometimes I think when in that field, you know, if you're doing these like 40 hour shifts or something, and there's a certain period where you kind of have to sleep or that's the only time you can sleep. And so I downloaded it and I tried it. It's free or there's a free piece of it. And it was like, it worked really amazingly well for me. So, yeah, it's interesting because I had an awareness one time. There's different ways to do that, but about the phrase counting sheep. Yeah. And I realized it was the same thing because if you were a true shepherd, you knew every sheep yeah. in detail, right? So yeah. if you counted the sheep, you were doing the same yeah. thing. You're visualizing every different feature of that sheep. And then the next sheep, and then pretty soon yeah, yeah. you'd be asleep. Yeah, right. Okay. So it's cool. yeah, it's very it's interesting how how um, you know, what is the kind of mental activity that arises when the the when intention is just relaxed a little bit, is just softened, and um, and then finding that you know, not not just drifting off into sleep, but like, you know, being there, being being present for it. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of it's an edge. Right? Okay, well so thank you very much.
and enjoy the enjoy the silence, enjoy the stillness. Thank you.